Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Then the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. This is the word of the Lord. After the Iowa caucuses, the one word the politicians decided you were listening to was the word change. How many times have you heard the word change the last couple of weeks? Some say, the fact that I've never lived in Washington, D.C. means I'm the best agent of change for that city. Some say, well, I was there one time, but it didn't stay too long to be contaminated. I understand it, but I can come and bring change to it. Another says, well, I haven't been there long enough yet to be contaminated by it. I have a fresh new look. I'm your agent of change. And a couple of them say, this is all I've done for 40 years is public service. Who better to know what meaningful change we need? Change is the word. And this story from the Bible today is about change. God is about to do a new thing. And how he decides to do that and the agents of that change are worth our looking again this morning. First thing to note is it says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were seldom seen. Number one player here, the mother of this child, Samuel. Two weeks ago, I mentioned her, how desperately Hannah wanted to be a mother. She and her husband had been trying for years to have a baby and without success. Every year they went to Shiloh, the holy place, this was before David was king, of course, before the new capital city at Jerusalem, before Solomon's temple. Shiloh was a very holy place. The, the tent, called the Tent of the Presence, where God was supposed to meet the high priest, where the beautiful box holding the tablets of the Ten Commandments was kept. Every year they went to Shiloh, offered appropriate sacrifices. Hannah prayed to God she would be a mother, and finally she was a mother. She was so excited about this son given to her that when she got him weaned, the Bible doesn't say just how long after he was weaned, but he was still just a little boy. She brought him back to Shiloh and said to Eli, the high priest, look what I have brought. Here's my boy. I want you to teach him. Now, when we just say that Samuel had a loving mother, we may get the idea that she just did anything and everything he wanted. Is that the way you heard the story? Think about it. This mother takes her only child back to Shiloh, 
when she squatted down in front of him and asked, uh, Would you rather stay here with this old high priest or you want to go home with Dad and me? What do you think he would have chosen? She didn't ask him. She said, You're staying here. You're staying here to learn. We will come back. And every year they did come back. And every year she had made him a new robe, a little bit longer, a little bit longer as he continued to grow. But she had him in the right place doing the right things. You should ask Marianne Emmons and Eva Marie Campbell how many times they hear mamas say and daddies say, But my child doesn't like Sunday school. And how many times in August, I tell you, religious education is greatly enhanced by music. That words set to music, we tend to remember longer. But my child doesn't like choir. My child doesn't like to sing. That's what we get. Do you ask your child every Monday morning if he or she wants to go to school? I don't feel like English today. Oh, really? Will you stay home with me, sweet boy, and play games on the computer? Is that what we say? You stay with me and just do whatever you want to do, because that's what mother's love means. That's what father's love means. Do whatever you want to do. I don't think so. We tell you a study after study that says if your child, grandchild, does not have good religious education the first 12 years of their lives, chances are they will never be a vitally important part of a Christian community, of a community of faith. They simply will not. It's amazing how many families we have here who think they are active in this church. If you were to ask them, are you active in a church? Oh, yes, Boston Avenue. They come every eight weeks. What chance that this child is going to bond to a teacher or feel a part of a class if they're brought once every two, three months? Even once a month. How much bonding can take place between this teacher and this child? Or this child and other children if they come once a month, once every two or three months? How much are they learning that they need to know by the time they're 12 years old? Stephen Salerno wrote in the Wall Street Journal a week before Christmas about this searching for happiness and how mamas and daddies so often missteer or give no steerage at all. He said he's grateful that all those years ago he had a mother and father who were of that greatest generation, the World War II generation. Stephen said, I remember when I was about 13, one morning I was eating breakfast with my mom and daddy, and I looked at my daddy and said, are you happy? And he looked at me and said, son, I don't really have time to ask those kind of questions. I get up every morning and eat breakfast with you and your mother. And then I go do the best I know how the rest of the day. He said, we mislead our kids. We say to them, this is the United States of America. Anybody in America can be president of this country. Technically, that may be true. If you were born in this country, if you're 35 years of age or older and you've never committed a felony... But think about it. If we turn over presidents every four years and you live to be 80 years, you will have seen only 20 presidents in your lifetime. If we let some of them serve eight years, you'll see 10, 12, maybe 14 presidents in your lifetime out of 350 million. How good are your chances of being president? 
Stephen Salerno says when he was a little boy, the Dodgers were still playing baseball in Brooklyn, and his daddy and mama took him to the baseball games, and he imagined that one day he would be running in the center field for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But he said it didn't take long to realize there were kids who could run faster, kids who could hit a ball harder, who could throw a ball farther. There was not a chance I was ever going to be center fielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Not a chance. So is the mother and father who promise everything really being fair to a child? Or should we somehow be saying to them, happiness is not something you grab for yourself. Happiness is a byproduct. This is not a preacher writing in the Wall Street Journal. This is a businessman who's saying, is it not about self-denial? Is it not about discipline? Is it not about going out every day and doing the best job you know how and trusting that maybe all of that spells happiness? Second player here is Eli. He's an old man, not seeing very well. Not sleeping in the holy place, sleeping in a place apart, eyes growing dim. Notice how wonderfully well these stories are told in the Bible. It says the lamp of the Lord had not gone out yet. It means it's still dark. When the sun rose, it didn't need the lamp anymore. Probably in the darkest hours of early morning, lamp still burning, but Eli is getting old and he doesn't see very well. If you read this whole story, you discover that Eli seemed to have been a very good man. He really was a good man. But his kids are scoundrels, the Bible says. His sons are worthless. They steal from the sacrifices and they sleep with the women who come to the holy place with their families. And God says, well, Eli's family is going to have to step aside. We've got to have a change here. The next generation is not the same as this generation. We have to make a change. And so our politicians are at least reminding us that every country, every state, every city, every church, every faith community, every business has to look at meaningful, significant ways to make change. How do we make significant change? Just before Thanksgiving, I saw an article about a recent group of experiments done at Yale University. I don't know if you read this. It was, this was in the early childhood development part of Yale University. They had babies between 6 and 10 months of age. So these babies are not talking. They're not walking. They can sit up. And the little experiment was this. They brought in one baby at a time for this particular experiment, and they had a little track set up. It looked sort of like a roller coaster kind of thing. And there was a little car that would go up over the hill, but just barely have enough power to get up over the hill, and then down the next little bit, and then up over the hill, and then barely. And suddenly a second toy was introduced. It didn't look menacing. It had sort of googly eyes made out of wood, but it was coming the other direction. And every time the first little toy would get almost to the top of the hill, it would push it back down. And it would get almost to the top of the hill, and it would push it back down. And they introduced a third toy. It looked very much like the second one, except it was coming from the opposite direction. And so every time the first little toy would get almost to the top of the hill, this looked like it might not make it, this one would push it on over the top. Next hill, it'd give it a boost and push it on over the top. And then the adults stepped away, 
and let each one of these children, one at a time, look at those three toys. You know what they picked? The one that was the helper. Child after child, six months old, eight months old, picked up and played with the toy that was the helper. And these Yale University behavioral scientists were saying, we believe there's something innately there within a child, even before he or she is taught, that says, go with the one that helps, not the one that hinders. Go with the one that helps, not the one that hinders. Number three, Samuel, he's just a boy. The writer says he doesn't know the Lord yet. He doesn't know the Lord who appeared to Moses in a burning bush on Sinai, who sent Moses back to Egypt, who faced down Pharaoh with plague after plague, who parted the waters of the sea for his people, who led them through the desert with manna and quail, and then gave them the tablets of the Ten Commandments. doesn't know him yet. But the word in Hebrew is, if you hear the voice again, answer, answer, I'm ready to hear. The word is literally, I'm ready to hear. Oh God, talk to me. I'm ready to hear. Remember Dan Rather's interview with Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa, you remember, went to India with an order of nuns to teach children of privilege. The British had colonized India, and many of the British had done very well there, had been very successful military, very successful in business. And Mother Teresa was one of these young nuns who had gone to teach the children of privilege. But late afternoons, when the children had gone home to their families, she walked the streets of Calcutta. And she saw these teeming masses of humanity dying, sick, hungry, penniless. And she couldn't get them off her heart. And in time, asked her order of nuns, would they free her from her teaching responsibilities to children of privilege and let her spend her life in the streets of Calcutta, permission granted. You saw pictures of her near the end of her life. She weighed 80 pounds. She was the tiniest little thing you've ever seen. She was asked over and over through the years, you think you can make a difference among 16 million people who are sick and dying? No, I can't make a difference with 16 million. I can feed this one a cup of soup. I can bathe this one's brow while she's fevered. I can help this one deliver her child. I can give this one a drink of water. When Dan Rather was with CBS News, he went to interview Mother Teresa himself. He sat down with her and asked, how do you keep going into the streets every day? And she said, when I can, I pray. Oh, he said. And when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, I say nothing. I just listen. Oh, really? And what does God say to you? And she said, God says nothing. He just listens. 
Beware of people who say they've heard clearly from God. The word of the Lord is rare. Visions may be even rarer. But for you and me, always eager to hear, finding times to be quiet, perhaps saying nothing, just listening, and believing that God also is listening. Heart to heart, change through Samuel. He's going to be the agent of change. He's ready to listen to what God has to say. Number four. Well, God comes that fourth time. <coughs> Eli said, three times you've heard this voice, was not I. If you should hear it again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is ready to hear. And the story says, God came and stood there and spoke to him. And he said, Samuel, I'm about to do something that will make both ears of every person who hears it tingle. We are Gentile Christians. This is epiphany for us. This is the season of the year where we remember the Magi who traveled all those miles following a star till they came to Bethlehem. The first non-Jews to see Mary's child and to see that he was somebody very special. They offered gifts appropriate to a prophet, a priest, a king. A prophet, a priest, a king. Remember when Dr. John Buchanan came to give our Barton Clinton Gordy series, came from Fourth Presbyterian Chicago. Uh, I think John's maybe a year older than I am. He's still working hard at Fourth Presbyterian Church and still finding time somehow to be the editor of Christian Century Magazine. When Martin Marty retired, John Buchanan took over that important role, and he has an editorial uh, every, every edition of Christian Century. Just recently, he was writing about a newspaper poll in Chicago. Uh, just before Christmas, the people of Chicago were asked, what is the Christmas carol or hymn you are sickest of hearing that you hope you do not hear again this year, maybe never? Number one in Chicago. Do you hear what I hear? Number two, the little drummer boy. They just hoped he would drum on out of Chicago and get as far away as possible. And number three, the 12 days of Christmas. And the people who said the 12 days of Christmas said, this is the most ridiculous carol you've ever heard in your life. Who needs a partridge in a pear tree? Who needs maids a-milking and lords a-leaping and maidens dancing? Who needs that? That's absurd. An absolute absurd song. John Buchanan said he walked over to his bookcase and pulled out a book that he remembered he had, where more than 50 years ago, Dr. Hal Lukuk, to his congregation, had said, the 12 days of Christmas is such a wonderful old song, several hundred years old, that talks about impractical gifts. Who does need a partridge in a pear tree? 
But Christmas is about the impractical. Don't give Grandma new mittens, he said. Give her some saucy perfume. And then he said, because what God did was the most impractical thing one could ever have imagined. With the Caesar Augustus sitting on the throne in Rome, God Almighty offered a child, a baby, placed in the straw of a cattle stall. God gave the most impractical gift ever into the very teeth of all of that power of slavery, of bigotry and prejudice. God gave vulnerable 